0: Well, we had our two weeks of Easter, and now we're gonna go back into the book of Revelation. How many have been studying that book on your own? How many of you read it? How many of you understand what you read? Difficult sometimes, I always have to read something with it. Now, granted we know it's a difficult book to understand, and we do our best to present the truth, and we prayerfully believe that God can reveal this to us as we study. Hey, I know. Studying God's word is a twofold endeavor. I told this to, well, the youth which would be Noah today. It involves reading God's word and praying because one without the other is in balance. You have to read and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what God is trying to say in his word. If you've tried to read the word like I did before, I was a Christian, it, I didn't understand it. But as when I got saved, I was like, oh, okay, now I understand it because the Holy Spirit's revealing it to me. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So when we read God's Word, especially the re- book of Revelation, you want the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. You want to understand what God's trying to say to it, and it's difficult at times to do that. So now we're going to begin chapter 12, and chapter 12 brings a, a whole new level of symbolism to, to God's Word. Now we're going to read a portion of it, and then we're going to go back and read it verse by verse to understand what's being told to the Apostle John. Revelation 12 verses one through six. It says, then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited her delivery. Suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail dragged down one third of the stars which he threw to the earth. He stood before the woman as she was about to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to to a boy who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to give her care for 1260 days. Now we'll get to the rest of the chapter in a moment, but chapter 12 represents four different conflicts, four great conflicts between God and Satan. The first one is Satan's conflict with Christ and his redemption. The second one is Satan's conflict with the faithful in Israel. Third is Satan's conflict with heaven. And lastly is Satan's conflict with the followers of Christ. Now, it also introduces us to three characteristics or three characters that are in the last part of the book of Revelation. And that would be Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And we call that the unholy trinity everything that God does the enemy tries to counterfeit so let's look at the first verse verse 1 says then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance I saw a woman clothed with the Sun and with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head now the woman here refers to the faithful people of Israel on whom or from whom the Messiah would come the ones who waited for God signified by the sun if you look at malachi 4 2 it says but for you who revere my name so he's talking about people who still followed christ not the not the jews that went astray these are the faithful jews he says the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings again referring to christ now the moon represents christ again genesis genesis 37 9 then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers listen he said i had another dream And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So both of these symbolize, they're talking about the faithful people in Israel. He's talking about his brothers here. They're talking about the faithful ones who have followed and waited for the Messiah all their life. And the 12 stars on her head represent the 12 tribes of Israel because there are faithful ones in each of the tribes. Not all of the tribe, but there are faithful remnant in each one. Verse 2 says, She was pregnant and she cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited delivery. Now we said the woman in the Old Testament represented the faithful ones in Israel. The pregnancy is that of waiting for the Messiah to be born. Isaiah 66 7 says, talking about the Messiah, about Mary, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. And then Malachi 4 ten or Micah 4 10 says, Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion like a woman in labor. And the pain that Israel's going through is they're experiencing the painful experiences of all those who are unfaithful. How many know that faithful people suffer when unfaithful people do bad things, right? Christians, we suffer because of sinful people, right? The pain that they're going through, they're experiencing the painful consequences of the idolatry and unbelief of Israel and Judah. Even though they were faithful, the leadership in those times and all the people were following after idols, so God sent them into captivity, Babylon and Assyria. And because of that, they were suffering, to no fault of their own, what happened because of other people. And since this is happening to the faithful part, and we've always said God has a remnant, right? God always has a remnant in every time, including today. Faithful people have to endure hardship because of unfaithful people. And sinful people. So let's apply that maybe to today. The true church has always suffered because of sometimes the fake church, the false church, mostly because of those who don't believe. We suffer because of people who are sinners, who don't believe in the church. The hardships we face now might not be direct judgments from God, but we suffer because of the natural consequences of sin around us. I'll give you an example. God promised to bless those who bless Israel, right? I believe that we as a nation have been blessed because we have blessed them. And the nations that have not been nice to Israel, God has not blessed. In fact, God has poured judgment upon them in various times. But not all. The judgment that's going to come upon them is going to happen in the very end. Another example would be Years ago, we talked about this on Wednesday with the creation thing in the schools they had years ago. What happened with that? It was a big fight because of the people who didn't believe that creationism should be, should be taught in schools. And they finally had to take it out because of unfaithful people who didn't believe. Churches always suffer because of unfaithful people. I saw, I saw a, a, a thing yesterday, an advertisement for a church. Now, I'm using the term church loosely. The advertisement they were going to have a drag queen come in to church. You can't make this stuff up. So we're going to suffer in the last days through no fault of our own just because we're believers, just like the faithful people did. And when Jesus says they're talking about labor pains, that's what he's talking about. In verse 3, says, Suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. The first significant event was the the pregnant woman, Israel waiting for the Messiah. The second significant event is the revealing of Satan. And the Bible says that the dragon is Satan. Verse 9 tells us plainly. It says that this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So we know for a fact that the dragon is Satan in, the, in all throughout Revelation. And the color red has always been associated with death. Back in Revelation 6:4, talking about the red horse, it says another horse, another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to remove peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. So the color red tells us of his murderous nature. It defines who he is in Satan. And then red describes what he is going to do. The seven heads represents his pretentious and false wisdom. It's not divine wisdom, but a Satan, satanic cunning and deception. The Bible says in the last days, many will be deceived and drawn away. And there's a lot of people that are, they say they're intelligent and they're smart, and they probably are, but they don't have a divine wisdom, a divine knowledge. And they are using that to draw people away. We've experienced that in these past couple of years with COVID. A lot of people claim to be experts but are not. But people follow them anyway because they claim to be experts. And they're saying, he's saying, the enemy is going to have this wisdom that people are going to follow. It's not divine wisdom. It's satanic wisdom that he has. And it's going to draw people away from Christ to serve him. not unlike what he does today. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan, the God of this evil world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. How many pray for your loved ones They aren't saved? The Bible says that the enemy has blinded their eyes. They can't understand the truth. So when we pray for people, we pray that God removes those blinders and opens up their mind to receive the truth. As long as the enemy is blinded, them, they can't see it. And we pray that God is able to remove those blinders so that they're able to see the gospel. And a lot of times, situations in their life are what remove the blinders. When they realize there's something in my life I can't control, that might remove the blinders. I, was, I told you about my brother. He has cancer. Um, and he's not a churchgoer at all. And he called me a week or so ago to, to give me an update, to tell me what's going on. And so he told me, and, and I texted him back right after that. And I said, Hey, can I pray with you? And can I, the, we have a prayer chain in our church. Can I have those people pray for you? And I, I'm waiting to hear a snarky remark, you know. But no, he said, Yeah, please. That, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. So. Sometimes it's situations that get people, gets people's attention, you know. So we're praying that God opens his eyes and gets them saved. And we pray that for everybody. All of those friends and family we know that don't know the Lord. You know, the Bible says that the goodness of God brings people to repentance. It may be goodness. It may be blessings in their life. But it also tells us that God may get your attention in another way. And we pray that God knows what way is going to work. So God, whatever way you think is going to work, you do it. Because we want them to be saved more than anything else. Because when their life is over, that's, there's no other, no, no other second chance. The ten horns on his head represent a completeness of power. He is going to have great power on earth. He has a little bit of power now and authority, but only what God allows him to do. Now he's going to have great power on the earth. Why? Because now the church, the Christians are gone. There will be no Holy Spirit influence here except for those who are the few that are saved and they will be martyred. He'll have power. He'll have great power again, but only what God allows him to have. And God is allowing him to have much more power to do what he's going to do. The seven crowns represent divine authority over earth's kingdoms that he is going to claim because he will declare himself the ultimate authority. He's going to declare himself God. He's going to, in the second part of the three and a half years, he's going to put himself in the temple. He's going to declare himself God. He's going to say that he has divine authority. He's going to say that I am God. Everything happens because of me, and I want you to worship me. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this evil world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. God is gonna give him even more power to blind people. And they're gonna get blinded to the truth. Verse four goes on in Revelation 12, his tail dragged down one third of the stars which he threw to the earth. He stood before the woman as she was about to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. Now there's a couple of different thoughts on this verse. A lot of people think it describes Satan's original fall from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12 says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. In Ezekiel 28, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God and walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways in the days you were created, till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God, and I expelled you, a guardian cherub, from among among the fiery stones. And then Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, who went with Satan, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And then Daniel 8, verse 9 says, "Out Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and to the beautiful land. And it grew until it reached the host of heaven. It threw down some of the starry host down to earth and trampled on them. So when the Bible says, you know, we think he took a third of the angels, that's the verse, Revelation twelve four. He took a third of the angels with him. Stars represent the angels. We mentioned that way in the beginning. So now he has a third of them. Not all one third is on the earth. Some have been chained up to be released at a later date but there are still enemies demons running around here and that's what they some folks believe that is but it's also a prophetic thing of what's going to happen as well it's going to show satan's destructive power over those who oppose him going back to daniel in 824 it says he will become very strong but not by his own power he will cause outstanding astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does he will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. So everything that God is allowing him to do, he's just going to magnify. And he's going to start destroying people. He's going to start chasing people down and killing people, those who don't worship him. And if you remember, Satan tried everything in his power to prevent Jesus from being born. right? All the way back in Genesis, when he knew what was going to happen, God prophesied what was going to, he's going to bring and deliver, in Genesis 3, all throughout history, God has been, or the enemy has been trying to defeat Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. He did it with uh, Esther. They had a chance to kill all the Jews with Esther. They had a chance to kill all the Jews when they were in captivity. And even Herod, when the baby was born, what did he do? He killed all the young males, figuring he can kill Jesus. He did everything to, provi- to prevent Messiah from being born. But he didn't. Verse 5 says, she gave birth to a boy, Messiah, who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Again, referencing Jesus in the future. And the child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. He escaped Herod, and it, it skips right to the ascension. It doesn't talk about his ministry. He was born, he escaped Herod, bang, he's ascended to Christ. The snatching up refers to when he ascended into heaven in Acts. And the term boy is singular. It does not reference the church in its entirety. It references one person, Christ. And it says, he, the boy, will rule over the nations. Again, back to Psalm 2, it says, a messianic psalm, it says, He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions you will rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. What's the the first thing that Satan said to Or one of the things that Satan said to Jesus in the garden? You worship me, I'll give you all the nations of the earth, right? Well, the problem was he already had possession of the nations. They weren't the Satans to give away. Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. Verse 15, out of his mouth came a sharp sword with with which to strike down the nations. Quote, he will rule them with an iron scepter. So all these references to the boy who was being born is the Messiah. He escaped being killed by Satan or Herod and he ascended into heaven. Now he's with God in his throne. Now we come to verse six and it says, and the woman fled into the wilderness where God has prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Remember, the woman was the faithful of Israel, right? That's the faithful Israelites. Those are the ones who do not accept the Antichrist as a rule in this revelation time. And they're going to be persecuted and hunted down, but God is going to protect them. So when it says the woman fled into the wilderness, that's the faithful Israel, faithful Jews, during the tribulation time, but God has prepared a place for them to care for them for 1260, which is three and a half years. However, those who do accept God's or Satan's rule are now going to be subject to God's judgment. God's going to protect those for a while during the tribulation who are the faithful Jews. We had the 144,000 earlier and whoever they minister to and whoever gets saved through their ministry, God's going to protect them for a time for the three and a half years. But those who don't are going to get judged, Ezekiel 20. Verse 34 says with might and fury, I will bring you out from the lands you are scattered. I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations and I will judge you face to face. I will judge you there just as I did your ancestors in the wilderness, bringing them out of Egypt, says the sovereign Lord. I will count you carefully and hold you to the terms of the covenant. I will purge you of all those who rebel and sin against me. Back in Ezekiel 11, when the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their detestable idol worship. And I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their heart of stone and give them tender hearts instead. So they will obey my laws and regulations. They will truly be my people and I will be their God. However, but as for those who long for idols, I will repay them fully for their sins, says the sovereign Lord. When Judah was sent into captivity for 70 years in the Babylon, the reason was they were an idolatrous nation. They worshipped everything that came along the pike. But what happened in God's correction is the 70 years cured them of idol worship. And they now became a nation who served God. The punishment or the chastisement that God brought to them corrected them. Now they didn't see what was coming, but for the idolatrous part, God was able to stop that. And I I think about my life or anybody's life, if we're caught in a sin, if we're continuing in sin, God will do what he needs to do to bring you out of that sin. And it may not be pleasant, but he's gonna do it because he cares about you. If you have young kids, When you correct them, and you may punish them or whatever, you don't like doing it, but you know you have to do it to correct their behavior. God does what he needs to do to correct our behavior as believers. The Bible says he chastises those he loves. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't correct you. That just makes me want to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong. (laughs) I don't want God to have to come down and spank me. What the Bible say, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you don't humble yourself, God is going to humble you. And you, you, don't, want, you don't want that to happen. Verse 7 goes on, there was, Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels under his command fought the dragon and his angels. Another great example of spiritual warfare. Sometimes we don't think it goes on, or it just goes on in a limited way capacity. But the Bible tells us that we are constantly in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6:12. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and the authorities of this unseen world, against the mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. There's always a fight going on. It's a fight for your soul. Daniel 10, then he said don't be afraid Daniel since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God your request has been heard in heaven so the minute he started praying the angel said I hear it It says I am come in answer to your prayer he left right away but verse 13 says but for 21 days a spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way That's the devil and his angels. Blocked Michael from getting to Daniel. There was a spiritual battle going on in heaven. Michael was trying to get to Daniel. He couldn't because he was fighting the devil. Or Gabriel, one of the angels. It says, then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. So now it's two on one. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So the angel that was sent couldn't make it through because he was fighting the devil. Michael the archangel had to come and help him win that battle. In fact, Michael stayed to fight him while the other angel went to see Daniel. There's a spiritual battle going on right now. Those people we're praying for on our list, there's a spiritual fight going on in the heavens for their soul. That's why we keep praying for them. Keep praying, keep praying. Because it said Daniel prayed for three weeks before the, he even saw anything from the angel. It may take us three years, 10 years, but we don't stop because there's always a fight going on. The Bible says that God wants all to be saved, none to, go to, none to perish, but all to come to, to repentance. It's God's will. The Bible says nothing is too hard for God so they can be saved. The hardest person you know you're praying for that you think will never get saved, God can save them. But it requires us to be praying and interceding for them and doing spiritual battle for them. The tribulation will not only have a spiritual battle on earth, there's going to be a spiritual battle in heaven as well. And this is going to be Satan's final attempt to defeat God's angels. But look who started the fight. Michael started the fight. Up to this point, Satan has had limited power on earth. And he had no power in heaven. What's it? 612, say Ephesians 612. Evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of darkness who rule this world. They have power. And now they're trying to exercise that power in heaven. Michael comes and do battle with them. And now it's the forces of righteousness in action against the forces of the devil. Up till now, they've been playing defense. But now Michael and the angels are going on offense and they're going to crush the enemy. Now remember, up to this point, Satan has had access to God's throne. How many know that? Satan can not come into God's presence up to this point. Remember what happened in Job. Job 1.6 says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, the accuser, came with them. So Satan has access to heaven. But now, Michael is going to end that. And since the devil's no match for Michael and the angels that still serve God, he's defeated and he's now kicked out of heaven's presence. Verse 8 And the dragon lost the battle and was forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the Earth with all his angels. So Satan had all of his demons up there trying to fight Michael and all the good angels. Michael devastated him, kicked him out. Now he's on Earth. He has no access to heaven. God now is total control of heaven. But now, all those demons that used to be in heaven, or at least had access to God's throne, where are they now? They're on Earth about to wreak havoc that God's allowing them to do. Even though Satan can no longer enter heaven, he's not defeated here. He still has power on the earth, but he knows his time is short. Notice the irony about what's happening here. Because Satan once said to himself in Isaiah 14, 14, he says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You know what the name Michael means? The name Michael actually means who is like God. So the devil who thought himself to be God was defeated by the one who is like God. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Again, we see that Satan... Used to have access to God's throne, but now he's gone. Or we can say in today's vernacular, Satan was canceled from God's presence. Now, it never tells us who the loud voice is, who the loud voice is or are. It could be the Christians who are in heaven at that moment. It could be the 24 elders. It doesn't say, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But whoever they are, when they see Satan kicked out of heaven... They now know their victory is won. They now know the final battle's ready to overcome. I equated this, we used the football analogy before. Your team's ahead by 50 points, and it's like the two-minute warning. And you know that even though there's time left on the clock, you know your team wins. That's what the, the voices were saying. Hey, we know there's time left we've already seen the victory we already know it's going to happen he defeated the enemy here there's no way he's going to rebound we know that we're going to be the winners there was an old movie out a while ago called a league of their own it was a good movie it's about girls baseball during the World War II there's one clip in the movie that says the coach begins to realize that his team's gonna win and he gets this Tom Hanks character he says we're gonna win we're gonna win And that's how these people in heaven are saying, now we're gonna win, we've already won. And you know what? We know that already now, don't we? We know we win. Verse 11 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Who overcame him? Those that have been accused to God and those that the enemy has accused to themselves. I've been telling this to the kids and I probably have told you this. The enemy will test you and tempt you to sin. He'll be the one in the first pew pushing you to sin. And the minute you do that, he is the first one to accuse you of sinning. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. Look what you did. Yeah, but you made me do it. Well, the truth is he can't make you do anything. He can test you and tempt you to do things, but you do it by yourself. So who's... Who overcame? The ones that have been accused to God. In other words, when, when Job, in the, in the book of Job, Satan come up and said, hey, and God says, what about Job? And Job says, well, yeah, you protect, or Satan says, well, yeah, protect him and you do all these great things for him. You take that stuff away, then he'll serve me. And God says, knock yourself out. He accuses you before God. He's accusing you before the Lord. Look at that person. Look how they sin. Look at all the things they do in their life that aren't right. And he accuses you of the same thing. But the great thing is, once our sins are forgiven, God says, what are you talking about? I I have no idea what you're talking about. The Bible says that God chooses to forget. You know, he's God, so he can't forget automatically. He chooses to forget. So once we ask God for forgiveness, guess what? God chooses to forget all of your sin. And every time, First John 1, 9, you come to him every day, Lord, forgive me of my sins, God says, great. What are you talking about? All those who faced temptation and overcame all the temptation, even to the point where they're not afraid to die because they knew that Christ had already won for them. This isn't the end. When we know that Christ has the victory, we don't wanna die. If God asks us to die, we're okay to do that. These believers won their victory over the devil because of what? Christ's sacrifice and their testimony about it. There's an old saying that says, if being a Christian were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Do people know you're Christians? You want to experience victory? Give a lot of testimonies about what God's done for you. We sang it, my testimony. Everyone has a testimony of what God's done for them. You may think it's small and insignificant, but every time you give glory to God, that's a testimony of power, and you get a victory for doing that. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've been talking about risk and fear. Don't let fear stop you from telling others about what God's done for you. It's easy in a a setting with a bunch of Christians to talk like Christ, but when you're with a bunch of non-believers, how do you talk? The Bible says, let your conversation be sprinkled with salt. Doesn't mean you dump the salt shaker on them, but you sprinkle Christ in the conversation. Our witness for Christ and our willingness to even give up our lives Always defeats the enemy. You want to defeat the enemy? Give a testimony. Give glory to God. Enemy is defeated. Satan is not all all powerful. We said this before he's not like 49%, and God's 51%. God's 100%, and Satan is zero, unless what God gives him. Heaven is going to rejoice when the devil is kicked out, but those on the earth will not rejoice verse 12 says rejoice O heavens and you who live in the heavens rejoice but terror will come on the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you in great anger and he knows he has little time when he gets kicked out of heaven he's he's ticked off and now he's going to take that out on humanity and this begins the second half of the tribulation and the intense suffering for those who are still here Verse 13 says, and when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. Again, the woman is faithful Israel. People in the tribulation time who are faithful Jews, the enemy is going to specifically target them. But God is going to protect them. This is to fulfill what, Matthew, or what Jesus said in Matthew 24. It says, the time will come when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. That's the statue of the Antichrist. Reader, pay attention. Those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person outside the house must not go back inside the pack. A person in the field must not return even to get a coat. How How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for mothers nursing their babies in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter or the Sabbath for there will be a, great, a time of greater horror than anyone has ever seen or will ever see again. That's what that verse is about. The, the dragon, the devil, knowing he's kicked out of heaven, knowing he's already been defeated, is going to kill or try to kill as many Jews as possible, and as well as other Christians too. And, about the, and how about this verse in Jeremiah 30, which is also being fulfilled. Verse 4 says, this is the message the Lord God gave concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says I have heard the people crying. There is only fear and trembling. Now, let me ask you a question. And, yeah, and this is for today. Do men give birth to babies? Jesus is saying, How ridiculous is this question? Do men give birth to babies? Well, you see that in the news today. Can't make it up. Then why do they stand there ashen-faced, hands pressed against their sides like women trying to give birth? In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end, they will be saved. God will protect his Jews, but it will not be pleasant for them while he's doing it. Revelation 12, 14. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, This allowed her to fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she will be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. It's three and a half years. When the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed in from, from its mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. Then the dragon became very angry at the woman and he declared war against the rest of her children all who keep God's commandments and confess they belong to Jesus. So he attacks the Jews. He can't find them. God's protecting them, so he gets mad and he starts attacking everybody who claims the name of Christ. Now God's preparing a special place for his Jews to flee to, and he uses the same wording that he used in the Exodus. Revelation 12, 14 says, but she was given two wings like that of a great eagle when they escaped Egypt, in Exodus 19.4, it says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I brought you to myself and carried you on eagles' wings. So the same terminology he's using to protect the uh, the Jews from the Egyptians, he's using to protect the Jews from the Antichrist. He's going to provide food for the Jews, just like he did the 40 years in the desert, or he did with Elijah by the brook and the raven. It doesn't say how he's going to do it. But we know that he did it in the past, so no reason to doubt that he's able to do that again. The flood of water probably isn't a real flood. That would be difficult with the hills and valleys that are there and not a lot of rivers. But it could mean a a flood of lies and false teaching. 2 Thessalonians 2. This evil man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of wicked deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refused to believe the truth that would save them. More than likely, it's a flood of armies sent to capture or kill them. Jeremiah 46. Who is this rising like the Nile River at flood time, overflowing all the land? It's the Egyptian army boasting that it will cover the earth like a flood, destroying every foe. So when it says the enemy's trying to destroy the world by a flood, he's actually using a flood of army to kill everybody. But just like Old Testament history, we see how God deals with that. Verse 16 says, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed from the mouth of the dragon. Where else do you see the earth opening up? Anybody remember? Korah and his followers, right? Number 16, 32, the earth opened up. And swallowed the men along with the households and the followers who are standing with them and everything they owned So God's going to open the earth again and swallow the armies that are sent out to get the Jews and other Christians and Since he can't hurt believing Jews at this time. He's going to go after the believing Gentiles verse 17 says then dragon became very angry at the woman and he declared war against the rest of her children all who keep God's commandments and confess they belong to Christ Those who God did not direct to his place of safety would now be the next target of the devil. You know, it's possible to get saved during the tribulation, but you're going to be hunted down and martyred during that time. Pretty sure everybody here wants to avoid that, right? I'm guessing everybody here wants to avoid that time. How do we do that? By getting saved today. Preparing your heart and lives today by coming to Christ today. Hebrews 3.15 says, never forget the warning. Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. Now we mentioned earlier that if you hear the gospel now and you refuse it, you're not gonna get saved in the tribulation. Now there's people that don't understand, don't believe that. I believe the Bible backs that up. And I only say that not to scare you, but to let you know that you may not have another chance. The scripture we read read earlier, 2 Thessalonians 9, says, This evil man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of wicked deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction. Why? Because they refuse to believe the truth that would save them. In other words, they've heard the gospel and they've rejected it. So what's verse 11 say? So God will send great deception upon them and they will all believe all the lies. So you reject Christ before the rapture, God says, I'm gonna send deception upon you after the rapture and you will not be saved. Verse 12 says, then they will be condemned for not believing the truth now, and enjoying the evil that they do now. That's a sobering thing. (laughs) That's why people who have been in church and have heard it and rejected it, I worry more about them than I do people who have never heard the gospel because they need to get saved before it happens. And that's why we're so adamant about praying for people to come to know the Lord. That's why we do everything in this church we do for that to bring people to Christ before that day comes. Would you stand as we close this morning? How about that? Five minutes to go. And that's with 10 pages of the notes. God's good. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I do this every service or just about every service? I can't assume that everybody here has been born again who follows Christ. A lot of people in a lot of churches, they go to church but they don't know Christ. They've never been saved. Or maybe then they've been saved for so long that they don't feel like they have to serve God anymore. Well, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Christ and you've, you really can't look back on a time in your life where well you can say, yep, this is when I gave my life to Christ. You may not know the exact date but you know there was a point in your life where you didn't know Christ and then you did know Christ. You crossed that line. If you can't think of that date, then maybe you haven't. Well, that means you're here because God wants you to be here for that specific purpose. And maybe if you've been a Christian forever and you just, you don't feel like you're living the life right, and you know, you know you need to get back. Now, well, we've talked earlier before that it's possible to slowly walk away from salvation. And if you're here or if you're listening, you don't want to do that. And I think in your spirit, you know you don't want to do that. Well, this is the day to come back. Come back to Christ. And let this be the first day of the rest of your walk with him. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Christ or you want to recommit your life to Christ, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. All right, I'm going to assume that everybody here is a committed follower. I trust that you are. But while we're still here, we all have work to do. So Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus right now. And we do humble ourselves before you. We all recognize that we have all been saved by grace through faith. Not of our works, Lord. Not of anything that we've done that would merit salvation, but strictly because of the sacrifice of Christ. But the rest of that verse tells us, Lord, that we were saved to do good works. So, Lord, I pray that you would fill each one of us here with that burden, that desire, and the opportunity to reach people with the love of Christ. I pray that you would help us to encourage those in the the body of Christ who need encouragement. Help us to be there for them. Help us to lift them up and encourage them and bless them. And Those who need us to carry them, help us to do that as well. Help us to operate as a family of believers. Lord, we love you this morning. We're so thankful that we're here. I just pray your blessings upon each person as we leave today. Allow us to really experience miracles in our life during the week and allow us to give testimony of those next Sunday so we can honor you with those. Father, we commit this church to you. It's your church, Lord. You have your way. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night, next Sunday. Sign up for all the sign that are out there.